What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. We've got a lot in the program today. So if a criminal becomes president, do we get more crime? Joe Madison is going to drop by, my colleague on SiriusXM, who ended his hunger strike a couple of days ago for voting rights. I want to discuss that with Joe. And also how the CRT plan is working in Florida and for the GOP. I'll get into that. So a lot going on in the program today. To start out, if a criminal becomes president, do you get more crime? Years ago, Luis signed up at nextdoor.com to see what was happening in our neighborhood. It was mostly people offering kittens or trying to find their lost dogs or begging neighbors to take piles of zucchini. Uh, Today, it's become a running list of assaults and burglaries in our neighborhoods. Specifically, and this is kind of the, the micro view, but there's a macro story behind it, a larger story behind it, but specifically carjacking. Carjacking, there was a story here in Portland that went kind of viral in the local newspaper about how people would be acting like they're in distress on a road, you know, like somebody would be stopped at a stop sign and somebody would run up and go, help me, help me. And you'd roll down the window and they'd, they'd, you know, reach in and open your door or they'd pull your door open and grab you and take your car and drive off. And and the lesson was don't stop when somebody says, help me. Um, But it's now reached the point, not just in Portland, but all over the country, where we've got these carjackings that are even being done at gunpoint. And I mean, the number of carjackings has quadrupled in New York City in the last four years, uh, nearly quadrupled in Philadelphia. It's up everywhere in the country. And it seems to be mostly being driven by teenagers. Now, there are some folks, this, this CNN article about it by Peter Nikias and, uh, and uh, by a couple of writers at CNN anyway, is arguing that this is because pandemic soft on crime policies, and I put those in quotes, in other words, the desire during the pandemic not to keep people locked up in jails, which are like incubators and you know spreaders for disease, have caused offenders to get out while they're waiting for, for their court dates and reoffend. Maybe. Uh, there are other folks who are suggesting, no, this is like inflation. This is just transient. This is, you know, kids are not in school and, and people are not at work because of COVID. And when COVID goes away, this will stop. I don't know. 
I mean, you know, uh, one of my kids has had three different vehicles stolen. None of them, thank God, were carjacked. They were all just stolen, stolen. But still, it's like this, shall we say, crime wave in America is becoming extremely problematic. Bill Clinton responded to this by putting 100,000 cops on the street. But, you know, there was also the, you know, the, 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 all that talk about super predators and a lot of laws that ended up disproportionately hurting mostly black people. I mean, crime is up, people are noticing, which means it's going to get political and fast. And Republicans are planning to make a big issue of crime this fall in the elections. Newt Gingrich just pointed out on Fox how well it worked for Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, running on a tough on crime. And they, and they see it as a template for November, which is pretty friggin' ironic and also something that Democrats need to sit up and take notice of. So where is this crime wave coming from right now? Well, Part of it, no doubt, is associated with people being out of work and out of school because of the pandemic and may well resolve itself as people get back to work and back to school. Part of it is probably associated with how the pandemic exacerbated the homelessness crisis. And numerous studies over the years have shown a clear connection between increases in crime following increases in economic inequality, which has gone up in America dramatically. But it would be impossible to discuss how pervasive crime is in America without discussing the fact that we had a criminal in the White House for four years. I mean, seriously, after four years of America having a professional, lifelong criminal as our president, is it any wonder that crime is up? Criminality, just like morality, flows from the top down. Remember Enron? You had a professional criminal, Ken Lay. We started the company in 1985 out of Texas, of course, an energy company. Gee, what a surprise. During Reagan's greed is good heyday. He not only corrupted hundreds of his own employees, dozens of whom went to prison, but he also corrupted Arthur Anderson, the accounting firm, one of the, big, one of the five biggest accounting firms in America, which no longer exists because they went along with Ken Lay's you know, criminal operations. Louise and I have, in the last uh, year or so, watched uh, Billions, uh, Yellowstone, and Secession. These are three shows that, you know, where the, the, the head of the family or the head of the company is basically this uh, ruthless rule breaker, which is kind of our new bad guy we all love in America now, which I, you know, am very ambivalent about. But, you know, this is another, these, are other, these are examples, these three, these three uh, shows that you can binge watch are examples of how criminality at the top or, more, or immorality at the top flows down. You know, and we see this around the world. I mean, Duterte uh, in the Philippines, he was a mayor for 22 years of a city that had the highest murder rate and the second highest rape rate in all of the Philippines. He becomes president and suddenly, you know, now you've got the International Criminal Court going after him for thousands of politically inspired murders. These all are examples of how the culture of criminality flows, whether it's corporate or political, flows from the top down. When a criminal's in charge, he sets the tone and becomes the role model for the company or the country, just like parents set the moral tone for a family. Put a criminal in charge and you get more crime. It's really that simple. And look at Trump. I mean, you know, th this is why it's so ironic that Newt Gingrich is saying, yeah, the Republicans are going to run on a tough on crime platform. Really? We had a rapist, a ta tax cheat, an embezzler, a fraudster, a mob associate, and a, and a guy who's openly criminal as president for four years. Is it any wonder that America's criminal class feel emboldened or that young people who came of age during his presidency are choosing crime as a way to make a quick buck?
I mean, they watched as Trump tried his best to make it easier for other criminals of his ilk, gutting the Internal Revenue Service, promoting hundreds of unqualified hacks to the federal courts. He even got away with committing 10 prosecutable instances of blatant obstruction of justice that the Mueller report found. Completely got away with it. Right? Nobody's even talking about prosecuting him for those things. His Secretary of Commerce, Wilbur Ross, was called a professional grifter by Forbes magazine. His Secretary of the Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, was known as the foreclosure king because he allegedly hired people to illegally robo-sign thousands of fraudulent documents and use them to make millions of dollars by evicting over 30,000 California residents from their homes. Trump's kids were convicted of running a fraudulent charity and are, are allegedly tied into hundreds of millions of dollars worth of never-prosecuted tax and bank fraud schemes. His fixer and lawyer, Michael Cohen, went to federal prison for, camp for a campaign finance scheme that Trump not only oversaw but signed the checks for. But Trump seems to still have gotten away with it. Five of his cabinet secretaries were convicted of running a fraudulent charity and are allegedly tied into hundreds of millions of dollars worth of never prosecuted tax and bank fraud schemes. Uh, it was just, it's, it's just incredible. Trump tried to overthrow the government of the United States right out in the open and over a thousand Republican officials who had taken an oath to defend the Constitution and their nation went along with this criminal scheme. I mean, given all this, is it any surprise, and, and so far he's got away with all of this, is it any surprise that crim criminals are saying, hey, good time to be an American? So now we've got this law and order dog whistle that the Republicans are going to pull out. Richard Nixon started this in 68 and 72. Uh, Richard Nixon, the guy who was, you know, who committed treason by cutting a deal with the South Vietnamese so that they wouldn't end the war so that Nixon could beat Her Her Hubert Humphrey in 1968. Nixon, who took a, a half million dollar bribe from the milk lobby and a million dollar bribe from Jimmy Hoffa. Nixon, who hired burglars to break into the DNC. <laughs> he ran on law and order. George H.W. Bush set up a cocaine sting across the street from the White House. So he could wave this white powder around on national TV. He got a great campaign commercial out of it. Keith Jackson, a, a local high school student, was the kid who got busted. He got a 10-year prison sentence. When the judge sentenced Jackson, he said, I don't want to sentence you to 10 years, but it's a mandatory minimum for crack cocaine, thanks to the Bush administration. And he said, quote, of, of George W. Bush, this is the judge at the sentencing of this teenager. He said, quote, he used you in the sense of making a big drug speech, end quote. But, you know, crime is powerful stuff. Being the victim of crime is to experience trauma. It's real. Uh, Abraham Maslow, with his hierarchy of human needs, pointed out that safety is right at the bottom. You know, if your safety is threatened, everything above that, what your, you know, your intellect, emotion, love, family, everything just goes away for a moment. Getting Medicare for all passed would be great, but if somebody's got a gun in your face or they're driving down the street with your car that they just hijacked, you're not thinking about it. Crime is visceral. Nothing else hits us at that level, at the bottom of Maslow's pyramids. And that's why Democrats have to put forth bold initiatives to solve this problem and prepare for this coming political onslaught. And I'm telling you, it's coming. Defund the police has been used against Democrats with success in numerous races now. We, there, there, were, there were at least a half a dozen uh, Democratic members of Congress who did not get reelected in the last election cycle in 2020. And specifically because their opponents ran defund the police 
uh, ads against them. Democrats need to come up with basically a rebuttal to that or their own response. You reform the police, community policing, find examples. You know, the Republicans back in the 90s all, all across the country were running on Rudy Giuliani's successes in New York with his no broken windows and his stop, stop and frisk policies. You know, they were basically racism on steroids, but it was a good line. Well, let's find something that's real. Let's find actual success stories that Democratic mayors or Democratic cities or towns or even states have done and start pushing those out, start highlighting them. Because if we don't, I mean, it's going to be a tough time. It's going to be a real tough time. And not only that, then on top of all that, you've got white collar crime. White collar crime is costing Americans more than street crime, and it's costing Americans more lives. More Americans have died because of white collar crime, and more Americans have lost everything financially because of white collar crime than all the robberies and burglaries and murders and carjackings in the last 30 years. I mean, it's just, it, 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 the, the, the math on it is just absolutely breathtaking. So we have to reframe what policing means, and we need to get ahead of this. We need to reframe the definition of crime to start including white-collar crime. Those are just two examples. I mean, there's a bunch of others. But, and, and in reality, Democrats are not anti-cop. I mean, New York City just elected a Democrat who was the former police uh, what chief, I believe, uh, Eric Adams, as their mayor. Val Demings down in Florida may well run against Marco Rubio. She's a former cop. Democrats are not anti-cop. And they need to get ahead of this issue, uh, this, this uh, perception of crime and the policy issues around crime before it buries them. And I think it's a, an example of what happens when public health is hijacked for political purposes, like we're seeing right now on steroids down in Florida. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. 
So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, so I, you know, I just laid out how carjackings are up like 400% in Chicago and Philadelphia and in many other cities. Crime is up. Uh, you know, somebody tried to break into our house a couple of months ago and did. A couple of houses down from us actually broke in and our neighbor was in the shower, came out of the shower to discover somebody riffling through their house. People are freaked out about it. Now, there is a really important reason why this is so, A, it's, it's obviously important, but so politically potent. This is going to get visceral. And frankly, I think if the Democrats don't get ahead of this, by coming up with specific strategies to deal with this. And by the way, they're, they're not mysteries. Community policing, for example. Getting cops out of cars and on the streets, walking around, same cops, same neighborhood on a regular basis, cops who by and large look like the neighborhood. Community policing. It was arguably the one thing that Bill Clinton did for crime that not only was politically advantageous, putting 100,000 cops on the street, but had a positive impact. Now, putting the wrong cops on the streets or putting poorly trained cops on the streets will backfire badly. Which brings you to number two, which is, you know, let's upgrade the profession of policing to a profession. And some of that is going to involve taking on the police unions. Now, I'm a big fan of unions, but most of these police unions are not really like unions. They're, you know, protection rackets for bad cops in many cases. So, you know, for example, better training, community policing, getting more police out there, revisiting how we, how we punish. It's not quite the right word because... Again, I, I am haunted by Michael Moore's movie, How, Who to Invade Next, or Where to Invade Next. That was it, Where to Invade Next. Where, you know, he goes around the world and he looks at all these different, you know, kind of government systems and says, maybe we could borrow this, maybe we could borrow this. And he goes to Norway and looks at their prison system. And it's like, oh my God, they're actually focusing on rehabilitation. Their assumption is that all these people are going to end up back in society, or the vast majority of them. And so we're not going to damage them further. We're going to keep them from society and we're going to train them, teach them, rehabilitate them, give them skills, and then bring them back into society. It's a very different thing from the United States where, where you know, our prison system is based on, in large part, the, you know, the old plantation system where somebody gets out of line and you throw them in the hole. So I think that there's a lot that can be done and a lot that must be done, but Democrats need to get ahead of this, this, this whole issue. So I'll, I'll just, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there and and uh, pick up your phone calls. Uh, Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Hey, not too much, Tom. Look, I'm, I basically want to say you are 100% right, but I just want to emphasize a couple of things, if, if you'll allow me to. Look, Joni Ernst was on talking about how Joe Biden is so weak because he wants just to give money, cash money to the Taliban when we need to protect women and girls in Afghanistan. All right? Look, we all and girls are starving it. in Afghanistan right now. There's, there's right. 10 million people on the verge of famine. And I, Well, I just want to defend something I say occasionally. I occasionally say, look, there's no difference between the GOP and the Taliban. Even the most liberal person says, what, are you crazy? There's no evangelicals, you know, killing women and girls. Look, 
it all comes down to money, Tom, and it all comes down to power. The best example I can think of, all right, the shortest, quickest thing for people to look at to see what I'm talking about is the read the book Dune by Frank Herbert, and there's a new movie out about it. Republicans are House Harkonnen. Power okay. only exists for power's sake. Yeah, no, I get it. And Dave, I absolutely agree with you on that point. And I think that's probably the most important point to make. Thank you. Ron, in Berrien Springs, Michigan, it says you disagree with me. About what? Yeah, if we disagree with the policy of going to war with Russia or preparing for war with Russia over Ukraine, a corrupt country, not unlike Vietnam, we, we become what? Pro-Tucker uh, Carlson? Give me a break. Ron, I don't think you've been listening to my program. I'm, I am not saying that we should be going to war with Russia over Ukraine. What I was saying is that the, there's a much larger issue here, and that is the, the fate and future of democracy in the world. Now, whether you go to war to defend that or not, whether you do diplomacy to, de to defend that or not, you know, whatever, but I'm not going to let you mischaracterize what I'm saying like that. Maurice in Berlin, Germany. Hey, Maurice, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. A beautiful day to you. Thank you. Back uh, at you. I want to talk about uh, the saying, history not learned is history repeated. Mm -hmm. And in my 78 years, I've been through a lot of history, and there have been moments of reprieve, you know, and uh, it just goes from one disaster to another, moving right along, and uh there were people that came along in the meantime, like Franklin Roosevelt and the Brave New Deal. And at that time, Smedley Butler, a general in the Marine Corps, was approached by the high, high, high-ranking Republicans uh, to overthrow President Roosevelt by leading a band of veterans. And it's just history that goes back and repeats, and people never learn. You know, that uh, all this is going on and we're just standing by good men who do nothing. You know, that's my grant for today. Okay. Thank you, Maurice. Uh, and <laughs> I think you've identified a very real problem. Rios in Marietta, California. Hey, Rios, what's up? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind? I just wanted to make a, a comment about the situation about crime and, uh, and neighborhoods of, of color. Mm-hmm. The first thing that people need is a job, money to provide for themselves and then their family. My point. Without jobs, without jobs, you're going to need money. Where do you get money? You knock people upside the head. You see that going up, like you said, Tom, that crime goes up when there is no jobs. I remember in the 70s, my father worked for GM in Delaware. He was laid off every summer for like uh, from, from the 1970s, uh, early 70s. Then suddenly, no job. Everything went to China. My neighborhood went from a blue-collar neighborhood to a crime-ridden, crack-ridden neighborhood within six months. Exactly. Exactly. This is the problem. Yeah. And no matter if the education is parochial school or a Catholic school without the proper funding to make the family whole enough to think positive about the future, then nothing you do will help. Right. And you can't and you can't just throw police one. at that and you can't just throw cash at it and say, you know, or, or free housing or anything else. 
people because jobs are also associated with senses with a sense of identity with a sense of dignity and and also for most people their workplace is their primary community tom you always hit the nail on the head man and that's why i listen to you all the time thank you the, the issues that you bring up about crime no matter what anyone says or anyone calls in about it's not about people wanting to hurt other people People need money to feed themselves, to feed their family, to have some kind of positive mindset to go forward. Without money, the positive mindset is gone. It's a negative mindset that's super hard to get rid of unless you have the funding to go for it and become a positive thinker. Thinking about education, thinking about how do we get your kid to football practice, how do you get your kid to parochial school. Without any of the funding that you earn, not given, that you earn, the positive mindset will always be on a negative end. You cannot give people a positive mindset. They have to earn. Yeah, and it's not, and it's not so just the cash, Rios. It's also that sense of community and belonging that people get from having a job where they work with other people that they like and they feel like their work is meaningful. Tom, Black Wall Street, that's all I got to say. Okay, Rios, thanks a lot they for the call. Own, they did their own thing, and what happened? Everything was perfect. Thank you for the call. Rick in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Rick, what's up? Hey, what's up is uh, uh, I saw a story on this on CNN, and a lot of my Republican friends are saying, well, look what the Democrats are doing, like in Massachusetts. The DAs and such are encouraging the police to not treat a major crime as a major crime. Like, like it would be a, you know, a high degree of felony, they treat it as if it's just like shoplifting, or like somebody breaks into your car and steals your, your cell phone. You know, they dragged somebody out Do you think the that's the Ferguson effect, Rick? This, this, you know, during, during, and immediately after the Ferguson, Missouri uh, yeah, upsets. You know, we there were police departments all over the country that were just basically saying, "We're just, you know, we're going to dial back on our policing and give you a taste of what life is like without us." And there are some who suggest that they're still doing that all over the country. That that this is this is, uh, you know, the the police union's way of putting the squeeze on Americans. Yeah, but yeah, but the Republicans are blaming the Democrats because of a lot of these DAs are Democrats and/or governors, and they're you know they're treating that as not a major crime when it should be treated as a major yeah. crime. So you you think that uh, you know one of these issues is uh, is the way that they're ranking them? I get it. That's a good one, Rick. Thank you, Vincent in Tallahassee, Florida. Hey, Vincent, what's up? Hey, Tom. Good afternoon. How you doing? Good. Good. What's up? All right. I got, I got, I got, I want to talk to you about something real, real quick. Also, I got some good news from South Florida I want to tell you about. Um, first of all, we need to stop referring to these people as like alternative electors and alternative documents and stuff. You know, if I have a fake license, I can't give it to a cop and say, hey, here's my alternative license. No, they're forgeries. These are forgeries yeah, yeah. and it's so, criminal. So, so these, exactly. So these people use fake doc documents. They're, they're fake. They're imposters. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know how fake news? These people are imposters, you know what I'm saying? They need to go to jail. But listen, I need to tell you something positive about the area that I lived in down in South Florida that lost to Republican. Let me just tell you something really, really quickly. Okay, Donna Shalala, right? Yeah. She had lost in the 2020 election, but she ran as a corporate Democrat. That's why. The person she ran against was a person who was like a pro-Trump pro person. Now, then you look at uh, the actual Miami-Dade County um, mayor. She ran as a progressive. The guy she ran against ran as a Trump one wannabe. 
he lost to her because she ran as a progressive. And yeah. then you look at what happened recently with Sheila Triplis McCormick. Okay, even though it was uh, she ran for Alcee Hastings on old spot. Now she ran as a progressive against corporate Democrats. She won her seat when she ran as a progressive. So the mayor who used to be the mayor of uh, was it in Carlos Jimenez? Okay, he's a Trump guy. When he ran against the uh, incumbent, she ran as a corporate Democrat. So what we have to do, we have to run as progressives and we'll have a better outcome. Amen, so, Vincent. So that's, a, so that's a positive, okay, sir? Yeah, I'm with you. And, and thank you for thank you for the tips on all that. And I, I completely agree. And, and this is, you yeah, know, I, I mean, Harry Truman. I lived down there. I lived down there for eight years. And even though I voted Democrat, see, the thing about Ileana Watts-Lathan, mm-hmm. she took care of her community. And yep. that's how come she was able to stay so long. Yeah. She, Paul, you know, no, I totally get it. And thank you very much, Vincent. And I mean, it was Harry Truman who pointed this out in 1946, I think it was, where he said that if a person is given a choice between a real Democrat or a, or, excuse me, actually he framed it in kind of a negative context. If they're given a choice between a real Republican or a Democrat who's behaving like a Republican, they'll pick the real Republican. Well, similarly, if they're given a choice between somebody who's behaving like a real Democrat, a genuine progressive, versus a Republican-like corporate Democrat, like we've got here in Oregon with Kurt Schrader, I think they're going to pick the progressive. And Schrader, by the way, has picked up a a serious primary challenger here. We'll see how that plays out. But anyhow, Les in Winnemucca, Nevada. Hey, Les, what's up? Hey, John. Thank you for taking my call again. I listen to your show just about every day. Uh, You guys are right on the money. Uh, Thank you. I wanted to say that uh, the Donald, you know, He's about time for the RICO Act to be uh, filed on this guy. I'm amazed it didn't happen 20 years ago, Les. Well, really, what's what's wrong with the AG? I mean, how long does this guy have to keep breaking? You can't tell me that right now, that right now he's not embezzling or lying on his taxes or something somewhere because this guy, he's like, He's a career criminal, Les. He's always dirty. He's like the guy on Peanuts that's always dirty. You know, he spreads dirt wherever he goes. Yeah. Big big pen, yeah. That's that's how Donald Trump is. That's Donald Trump. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm totally totally with you, Les. Thank you very much. Sean in Stamford, Connecticut. Hey, Sean, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. How's it going? Good. What's up? Okay. Uh, Two things. One, when you mentioned the Ferguson effect, I'm reminded of the George Floyd protests here in New York, and the head of the police union basically gets on TV and says to, to us, you owe us respect, otherwise we will not show when you call us. Right. Right, okay. And then you mentioned the thing about crime now. There was a police special on the news yesterday, the, the rising part in New York, the danger, the police, you know, the, the subways, the homeless, and all that. It was like, like you're not helping the situation. You were amplifying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, please, let's solve it. Let, let's not make this worse. Yeah, I totally get it, Sean. And, and uh, you know, this is this, this whole promotion of there's a crime wave and stuff like that. Well, yeah, we, we need to have a rational conversation about what's going on. No doubt about that. But this is an election year. And it's going to get crazy. So, you know, hang on. Hang on tight. This is the talk media for the rest of us here, the Tom Hartman program.
quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Our old buddy Joe Madison, host of the Joe Madison Show, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Sirius XM Channel 126. The civil and human rights activist, JoeMadison.com, his website, Madison Sirius XM, the Twitter handle. Joe, welcome back. Last week or earlier this week, I guess it was, Henry Louis Gates, the Harvard professor of the popular Finding Your Roots series on PBS, who featured you on that show. We've talked about that on this program before. Thanked you on behalf of the African-American people and said that John Lewis is looking down and he's proud for your, your hunger strike with regard to voting rights. You want to bring us up to date on that and also your thoughts on where we're at with regard to the future of voting rights, how, how the Biden administration may go forward with this? Well, you know, first of all, it's much better to have somebody like you and Henry Louis Gates say, you know, say things because it, it, it really is what kept me going. And it offsets all these, and you get the same emails and tweets that I get, these nasty, mean, spirited, what do they call, I mean, you know, comments that you get on social media. Yeah. Let's go, but, but where do we go from here? And I, I'll make one correction. I'm not going to worry so much about where Biden goes or where the Senate Schumer goes. They know what they have to do as political leaders. What the question should be, and what I'm hoping would happen now, is that we take advantage of this new consciousness, uh, this new activism and advocacy uh, with this generation that now understands and sees firsthand what John Lewis's generation saw when they were in college. There you go. When they were young people. And so what I'm hoping, Tom, and I think the two of us and others, and, and you know, we can call the role, I think we need to come together. And, and, and the people at SiriusXM, 
uh, I just got off a, converse, a, a phone conversation with them. They want to, they really want to continue the momentum, mm-hmm. even though we, uh, we didn't get sent, uh, even though we were um, not blindsided, but we were, uh, you know, uh, Locked, yeah. led astray by <laughs> cinema and mansion. Um, I think we all need to get together with our audiences and and ask that very question. What should our strategy be? Because as you know, the other side, they're working full time. And uh, that's where I think that it really should go. Yeah. Biden knows what he has to do. Um, and and, and uh, the Democrats in the Senate know what they have to do. Not, and, but what we need to understand is what should we be doing? And we can't wait until uh, October <laughs> yeah. to say, okay, let's get rolling. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. And it, it seems to me like the best strategy going forward would be to break up these bills in individual pieces and, and just pre- so, you know, uh, really, you want to stop mail-in voting, for example, or really you want to stop having drop boxes, or really do you, you really want to stop, you know, uh, make it a crime to give somebody a good bottle of water while they're standing in line for four hours, or do you really think that it's okay that we continue to have six, eight, ten-hour long lines to vote, principally in minority areas, rather than you know, rather well, than and, putting and, a cap on it at fifteen minutes right. or something? Right. And and by the way, uh, you see, that's that, that's one strategy. And and so I wouldn't. I would put, definitely put that on the table. But at, but what I what I really think is that we need to uh, right now get every human being as registered voting and 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 educated on on the issue. Right. Um, what, so that the one strategy you suggested is legislative. So I'm I'm going to add, and you and your audience is very good at at maneuvering and 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 figuring that approach. What I'm going to add, my part and others may join, is okay. We need to hit the ground with some uh, shoe leather, and 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 start going door to door, registering people to vote, um, getting them out to vote, and also. Because what you focused in on was the congressional aspect of it. We need to kick ass. Excuse the well, I'm, we're on right? too. But, <laughs> well, we need we need to really hit these folks up on the state level mm-hmm. and not let these not let these state legislators, uh, you know, have a free ride. Because some of these folks, they don't, you know, they get elected by such a thin margin. I mean, in, in most of your state senators and and then the lawyers and the law schools need to come together because we're winning cases uh, when it comes to gerrymandering uh, districts. What was it? Was it help me out? Was it just Alabama where they they uh, the, the court said, no, you, you're not going to get this one through where they actually cut a district's through somebody's backyard? Right. Yeah, I don't recall the state, Joe. I'm sorry. But yeah, yes, and this, this has happened now, I believe, in three states in the last couple of weeks where yeah, the courts have struck them down? three states. That's right, because there, there's an organization 
uh, that that the that Obama and Eric Holder put together, and they've been working at this for two years, raising money and yep. and and hiring lawyers, and they and they've won yes in three states. Yeah, and we've had Mark Elias on this program. He's and he's you know you know leading that charge also. I mean there. Uh, I, I, as I think, well, we've had Eric Holder on the program a couple of times talking about this too. So, so right, you're saying right. we need we need a, a a boots on the ground strategy. We need we need to absolutely oh, yeah. overwhelm oh, these absolutely. suckers. Yeah, it, thank you. That that is one strategy. So you need the lawyers in the courtroom. Um, we need the boots on the ground because who, who's going to be on the ground? It's not going to be a 72-year-old talk personality doing a hunger strike. Who, you know, what we've done, and it goes back, and, and I really thought about this, and I heard you mention it, and I thank you for it. You know, the, the quote from the Japanese admiral, uh, Yamahoto, mm -hmm. uh, where, where, where he said, look, I think what we've done is when after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, all we've done is awaken a sleeping giant. Yep. And they are and they are uh, resolved to win. And and that's what I'm what 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 the, what has happened. You know, the, you know, we didn't get the legislation, but, you know, I'm not going to blame the Democrats because there was two of them that that stabbed us in the back. But I got to tell you, the the Republican Senate, they are now the party of voter uh, you suppression. Know, yeah. Yes, thank you. Voter suppression. And they will go down in history the same way that these folks went down in history with the Dixiecrats and before. But what happened? John Lewis, SNCC, Dr. King, that generation woke up. And what did they do? Look at Goodman, Swarner, Cheney. These were college students. Yep, down in Mississippi. They, yep. And, they hit, and they hit the ground and changed the course of history and that's what we have to take advantage of so young people now know we weren't lying when we said there's a difference between republicans and democrats so we don't have to listen to russians who are infiltrating our social media we weren't lying when we said the vote was critical and important we weren't lying and by the way we all of us have now learned more about how the senate filibusters and it's not Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Movie. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think this has been a hell of a wake up for a lot of Americans. And you're right. It's been a great civics lesson, too. And you've been a really important part of it, Joe Madison, you know, with the hunger strike and all the great work you're doing on Sirius XM every morning. I couldn't have done it without your support. Well, yeah, thank you. You always have my support, Joe. The, the work you're doing is so important. Uh, Joe Madison, the great Joe Madison, the Black Eagle, 6 to 10 a.m. on Sirius XM Channel 126, JoeMadison.com. Joe, thanks a lot for dropping by. Welcome back. The, the, one of the other things, you know, I, I was mentioning earlier, the Republicans in November are going to be running on crime. One of the other things that the Republicans are going to be running on, which Glenn Youngkin just successfully ran for the governorship of Virginia on, was stopping the teaching of critical race theory at our schools. This is getting weird, and I don't know how long they can milk this cow. Down in Florida, they passed a law, Ron DeSantis passed a law, or he is promoting a law, actually, that would allow parents to sue their schools. 
they have passed this law that says that this is an education ban. This is, quote, theories that distort historical events, including critical race theory, defined by the state board as teaching, quote, that racism is not merely the product of prejudice, but that racism is embedded in American society and its legal systems in order to uphold the supremacy of white persons. Okay, so which has the law has banned this. This law, or this, 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 now it's a policy from the State Board of Education by, by Florida Republicans, that literally says, you may not teach that racism is embedded in American society and its legal systems. You may not teach that. That's what we're calling critical race theory. And so here's this history professor at Flagler College, J. Michael Butler. He was supposed to give a talk to a group of teachers, not even students, not the public teachers. These are Osceola County teachers. His, the, name, the title of his talk was going to be the Long Civil Rights Movement. And his point was, in summary, that the Civil Rights Movement did not begin or end with Martin Luther King Jr., but extended for decades on either side of the 1950s and 60s. They canceled his speech because they were afraid it would run afoul of the law. Meanwhile, Ron DeSantis is pushing a bill in Florida that would allow parents to sue schools for money if they don't like what their kids are being taught. A DeSantis spokeswoman, when challenged about this, said, and I quote, the endless, this is an email to NBC News, the endless attempts from a DeSantis spokeswoman, the endless attempts to gaslight Americans by conflating the two, and that would be civil rights and critical race theory, by conflating the two are as ineffective as they are tiresome. So just to be clear, mixing up teaching history with teaching CRT is dishonest. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly what the Republicans are doing. They're saying that teaching history is somehow critical race theory, which is this obscure fragment of legal theory that is taught in second and third year law schools, or second year law schools. It is not history. So how is that gonna work out? How long can they ride this hobby horse to mangle my metaphors here? Is this gonna work? Is, I mean, it's just a naked appeal to white supremacy and white racism. And Ron DeSantis seems to be like the, the number one cheerleader for it in the nation right now. And he thinks this is gonna ride him into the White House. And Republicans all over the country think that criticizing, teaching American history is going to get them elected. Will it? We'll be right back. I guess if you want to put this in the context of four, you know, what are Republicans for? Is it that they're in favor of whitewashing history? Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre, A Photographic History by Carlos K. Hill. And in addition to photographs, there's a lot of words in this book. And I'll share a few of them with you. This is from the introduction. During the early 20th century, the Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma, was known as the Negro Wall Street of America because of its prosperous black business community. In 1921, Greenwood was home to nearly 11,000 black people, one-tenth of Tulsa's overall population, and spanned a 35-block area. The district boasted close to 200 businesses, including 31 restaurants, more than two dozen grocery stores, five hotels, four drugstores, and two theaters. There were a dozen churches, as well as two, two schools, two hospitals, two newspapers, and a public library. Most of the business and residential properties were owned by black Tulsans. The black professional class comprised not only clergy and teachers, but also three lawyers, including the pioneering Buck Colbert Franklin, 15 doctors, one of whom was a nationally acclaimed surgeon, Dr. A.C. Jackson, and enterprising businessmen such as Greenwood's founder, O.W. Gurley. Remarkably, the neighborhood's affluence occurred at a time when most black Southerners lived in rural areas and toiled as sharecroppers on white-owned plantations. For all these reasons, the Greenwood District was not just a wealthy black community in the age of segregation. It was and remains a potent symbol of black excellence. The eruption of white mob violence in downtown Tulsa on May 31st, 1921, interrupted Greenwood's historic ascendancy. What has come to be known as the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre was instigated by speculation that 19-year-old Dick Rowland, who was black, had attacked Sarah Page, a 17-year-old white elevator operator. While it's unclear precisely what occurred during the brief interaction between the two in an elevator in Tulsa's downtown business district on May 30th, we know that Page screamed and Roland fled the elevator in a panic. There's no record of what Page told bystanders or the police who interviewed her following the incident, but police authorities were left with the impression that Rowland had attacked her. The following afternoon on May 31st, the Tulsa Tribune published an incendiary article, uh, the, quote, this is the headline, nab Negro for attacking girl in an elevator, end quote, which asserted that Rowland had indeed assaulted Page. As was common for the era, the Tribune insinuated that he had attempted to rape her. Word began to spread about the alleged attack, and by evening, a large number of whites had begun to gather in front of the Tulsa County Courthouse, where Rowland was being held in the county jail. It quickly became clear that some among the crowd intended to lynch him. Fearing that the lynching of Dick Rowland was imminent, a small armed contingent of black men, some of whom had served in World War I, came to the courthouse around 9 p.m. to offer the authorities their assistance. They left upon being promised that no harm would come to Rowland, but their brief presence further enraged the growing white mob. By 9.30, there were almost 2,000 angry whites milling around outside the courthouse, many with guns, and the county sheriff was preparing his deputies to make a stand should the building be attacked. When a second, larger group of black men arrived in hopes of protecting Rowland, they were again told that their services were not needed. This time, however, a white bystander, perhaps angered by the sight of black men carrying weapons, attempted to take the gun of a black veteran who was walking away with the rest of the group. 
As the men struggled, one of their guns went off. In the chaos of the moment, armed whites began shooting indiscriminately at the retreating black men, some of whom shot back. In that first quick interchange of gunfire, 20 people were killed or wounded. The black men hastily left the scene, but they were followed by armed whites who engaged them in further gunfire on 4th Street and then on Cincinnati Avenue, resulting in additional casualties. That initial pursuit ended when what was left of the group of black men made it across the tracks of the St. Louis-San Francisco Railway and the demarcation line between White Tulsa and Black Tulsa. Believing that the armed blacks had instigated the firefight, Tulsa authorities joined forces with the enraged white civilians who had been at the courthouse, and together they set out to put down the so-called Negro uprising. Tulsa police haphazardly appointed between 250 and 500 white men and even white youth as special deputies, granting them the authority to arrest as well as to shoot and kill black people whom they viewed as in rebellion against white Tulsans. According to one eyewitness and participant in the massacre, the deputized whites were specifically told to get a gun and get a N-word. When a group of black men gathered north of the Frisco tracks, forming a defensive wall to prevent the swelling white mob from crossing en masse into black Tulsa, they were violently confronted around midnight by the Tulsa police, the local unit of the Oklahoma National Guard, and the hastily assembled contingent of armed deputies, so-called. Whites who had already made it into the black community were now shooting randomly through windows and setting homes and businesses on fire. In at least a few cases, blacks were deliberately murdered, including an elderly couple who were gunned down inside their own home. The most destructive and perhaps deadliest race massacre in American history had begun, and it would continue unabated for approximately 12 hours. The book, The, Tulsa, the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre, A Photographic History. Okay, down in Alabama, this was a story that just, you know, uh, broke. Uh, interestingly, I, I'm pretty sure it was on MSNBC like last week that there was this police department down in Alabama where the uh, police chief, Mike Jones, and a bunch of the officers uh, were basically making big bucks on traffic stops that were completely bogus. You know, they, they would stop people for running a red light or running a stop sign when they actually stopped for the stop sign. They were just like making things up and uh, had acquired hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines for the city. I mean, you know, some huge portion of the city's budget uh, or of at least the police departments. And they, you know, and they were using this money to pay themselves well and buy new toys and all kinds of stuff was from this. Well, that that scandal broke. And that Alabama Police Department Chief uh, Mike Jones, uh, Brookside, Brookside, Alabama, uh, resigned uh, yesterday or the day before, uh, earlier this week. But with his resignation, now the citizens of Brookside are starting to say, okay, you know, he's been taken down. We're not terrified anymore. So we're going to tell you what actually happened when this guy was police chief. And this should be a cautionary tale for all of America, frankly. Um, he, he was literally threatening people with arrest for posting on Facebook that they thought that the ticket was inappropriate. 
that they didn't that they that they actually stopped for the stop sign and they got a ticket anyway. This uh, this uh, one woman, Michelle Jones, she said, "quote He threatened me with an arrest if I did not take down my Facebook pictures and posts to their police officers or stop sending emails to local politicians, showing and show them the the Brookside police that I understand law enforcement practices." It's amazing. She was ticketed in, 20, in May of 2019 for running a stop sign, which she insists she didn't do. After she paid the $160 fine, she began complaining to public officials, a local TV station, and posting on Facebook. And uh, then, quote, this is what she told the Attorney General's office. Detective Johnson had called. Now, this is not the Chief Jones. This is a guy who's apparently still with the police department. Detective Johnson had called and asked that I come to the Brookside Police Department to talk with them. After I told him I would not, he reported that they have two warrants for my arrest. He stated that I had issued threats, I had incited a riot, and I had slandered the Brookside Police Department in my Facebook posts. He reported that his uh, police chief was mad. Right. Others have reported similar experiences, including Alabama Senate candidate Lisa Ward, who, who posted on Facebook about getting a ticket and saying this is wrong. And, uh, you know, then she gets harassed by the department. Another one, a Brookside man, told Alabama.al.com that he was pulled over a couple of days after complaining on, on Facebook about his own ticket. Now, he, he, gets a, he stops at a stop sign. He gets a ticket for not stopping, even though he did stop. He complains on Facebook about it, and they stop him again. And the cop comes up to his car the second time that he stopped and says, and I quote, the police chief's pretty upset about that post you put on Facebook. Any more backlash like that toward our police department, and it'll be worse, far worse than a ticket. And the guy who... who did the post said, I just stared at him. I was looking at him like, so this is what this stop is about? You just stopped me to threaten me? Yep. You know, conservatives for years and years have made this point that government is the only institution in America that legally has the power to kill you, that legally has the power to imprison you. I can't do it. You can't do it. A company can't do it. Only government can do it. And therefore, and, 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 and I was, I've said conservatives have made this argument. Hell, this was an argument that was made at the, at, at the Constitutional Convention. Therefore, government has to be constrained. That's why we have the Bill of Rights. That's why we have the Constitution that limits the powers of government. As Barack Obama said back in 2008 when he was running for president, it's a negative Bill of Rights for the government. Now, <laughs> Republicans went nuts because they didn't have any friggin' clue what he was talking about. But it limits the power of government. This is why. And obviously something broke down here in Alabama. And I'm willing to bet that Alabama is not the only place in the country where this sort of thing is going on. And, and I guess this is kind of the upside of social media now because people can, can uh, complain about it But uh, on the one hand. But on the other hand, I mean, most of these complaints go back to 2018, 2019. This is 2022. So this police department has been terrorizing their own community and sucking them dry in the process for, what, a half a decade or longer? You know, we need to have a conversation in the United States about crime. We also need to have a conversation about policing in this country. And that's, that's what I was encouraging Democrats to do, is say we need to reform policing. We're not going to defund the police. We're going to fix the police. 
And it starts with, you know, ending these kinds of abuses. Todd in uh, Summit, Mississippi. Hey, Todd, what's on your mind? Hi, I would like to comment about what is going on in Ridgeland. There is a mayor in Ridgeland, Mississippi, that is withholding funds from the public library system because they have LGBTQ books on the shelf and other children's books that he doesn't like. And I've heard you over the last couple of weeks talk about fascism. And this is just one step. This is just one more step that they're using to try to withhold funds and make it even more difficult. And this comes on the heel of the Senate passing a CRT measure. And I watched the debate. CRT, you mean critical race theory? Oh, the uh, the Senate in Mississippi. You mean you mean you may not teach black history, basically. In Mississippi. Right. Yeah. They, okay. Well, one of the things that they they did in this bill, honestly, is it's a non discrimination bill about one race not being superior to the other. I get that. But they're calling it critical race theory. And they cannot, after multiple times of the other senators trying to get them to state what is critical race theory. When there's no incident in the state of Mississippi where it's even being taught, and they wind up not having a definition for it. Yeah. They're just calling it critical race. No, that's what I'm saying. It is a war on black history. That's what's going on. The Republicans have, have, have launched and declared a war on black history. And they think that they're going to, and Todd, thank you for the call. They think they're going to ride this into the White House and they're going to ride this to victory in 2022. I'm not so sure it's going to work out that way for them. But, you know, time will tell. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. Make sure that you are registered to vote. And if you live in a Republican-run state, make sure they haven't purged you off the voting rolls. Because this is an election year. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.